All right, I'm going to start out with a little story um, <coughs> as we walk into today's message on, on giving that God rewards. We're still in the Sermon of the Mount, and we're just going to continue to work through this passage. And <coughs> So this story is about a world-class runner. She was a woman, and she was invited to compete in a road race in Connecticut. So on that morning of the race, she drove from New York City. She followed the directions on her phone, well, so she thought, and she, she got lost. And she stopped at a gas station and asked for help. So she's a humble lady. She doesn't know where to go, so she uses the old school technique, which I grew up in the 70s and 80s with before there were phones, on to ask for help. And she knew that the race started in a parking lot in a small shopping mall. The gas station... The gas station attendant also knew of such a race scheduled down the road and scheduled and <coughs> directed her to it. And so she drove. And so as she went down the street a few miles, she was relieved to see a modest parking lot with a number of runners preparing to compete. And she noticed that there wasn't as many runners as she thought and she, she, she anticipated. And so she goes, oh, maybe it's an easier race and that maybe she could potentially win as she expected more there. So she hurried up and went to the registration desk and announced herself. But to her, su <coughs> but to her surprise, um, the officials at this race were, were so excited to see a renowned top of the class um, women's athlete at this particular race. Um, but they had no record of her registering for this race. But she knew if she hurried and she put on her number, she could make it to the starting line before the gun went off. And so she ran, and naturally she ran, she won the race. She, she actually came in four minutes ahead of the next uh, male runner who was in second race. So something's wrong um, with this race. She's obviously dominant um, and in the, potentially in the wrong race. So only after the race, when they announced the winners and she received her envelope, she expected this huge prize money, and she opened it, and it was a modest prize money for her performance. Soon she realized that she was not in the race that she expected to be in. Um, and she was, <coughs> she actually, the race that she was supposed to be in was several miles up the road. And so she was at the wrong race, the wrong starting line, running the wrong course, and running for the wrong prize. And so um, in this room, um, we're all running a race. Um, we're running a race um, in this life, and we're also running one of two types of race. We're running a race for the Lord, or we are running a race, a hellbound race, um, which is not a very nice race. And there's another race that's confusing. We may be thinking we're running one race like this lady, but when indeed we're running another race. So this morning, I want you to track carefully and think through, am I running the right race? Um, <clears throat> and am I, run, am I running the race that God wants me to run? Because you don't want to come to the end one day and, one, and ask this question, where's my reward? I thought I was doing this for the Lord. But the Lord wants you to run a race for Him, and He wants to reward you greatly. And we want, we'll see what that looks like. And so from Matthew chapter, really 6, 1 through 4, I chopped the message in half because I just, it's going to be too long. So 
Uh, <clears throat> and this morning, we're just going to look at four verses to, to center our lives on the gospel and to really remind ourselves and ask ourselves, are we running the race in which God has called us to run? And so we're just going to um, look at some guidelines and principles of giving. And so we're going to begin with the first one. The first one is, <clears throat> don't show off by your giving. And then we're going to look at the giving that God rewards, and then how God actually has a punishment for those who give hypocritically. And then again, we're going to look at giving that God rewards. And the whole thrust of this message, when you look at it, he's, Jesus is talking to the crowds and the religious leaders around him. It, it seems like the, the emphasis is what you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to give in this kind of way. But I think the stronger emphasis is the Lord is generous, and he wants us to give. But he wants us to give in the right way. And so I want to go um, back a little bit since we haven't touched on the Sermon on the Mount for a few weeks because of Christmas and, <clears throat> and a few other side messages. So we're going to go backwards to get a running start into today's message. So in the previous text, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 48, you can kind of glance at, that, glance at that in your Bible. But as Jesus is speaking, he's addressing in this first section our heart, the state of our heart, our, our attitude, our moral righteous, and, and what we delight in. And really, he's really addressing the nature of man's depravity and who we are um, below the surface, inside our heart. And so in one section, he talks about murder. But he, he, Jesus is saying, hey, before the action of murder occurs, you have something first. You have anger. And Jesus basically calls this heart murder. You murder someone in your heart, and is expressed in anger. If it goes to its greatest fruition, you actually murder and kill somebody. And Jesus talks about a heart in another way. He calls it heart adultery, which is lust. And before one commits adultery, you have to lust. And so this, again, points to a heart that is sickened. <clears throat> and then Jesus talks about divorce, and he talks about oaths, oaths, and then this, he addresses the issue of integrity and gaps in our life. And he's basically saying, hey, we are not perfect. And, and then he goes on and talks about heart revenge and saying, hey, we are not to take personal revenge in our own hands, but we are to leave this um, to the Lord. And so, again, Jesus is addressing the heart of man. And then lastly, he talks about love. And the, the religious leaders at the time said, hey, we are to love our neighbors and hate our enemies. And Jesus comes back at them and corrects them and says, no, we are to love like God. We are to exercise common grace. We are to love our neighbors and our enemies. And so the whole point of this section that I just reviewed is to, to show the standard that God requires to go and to be a part of his kingdom, which is perfection. Um, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Sadducees, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus says, in his heaven, my heaven is perfect, and only perfect people can go there. And in this section, he's also trying to make a point that we fall what? Way short. We are sinners um, <clears throat> deserving of hell. And the, the whole, as he does this, the whole point he's trying to draw out is that what? We need a Savior who is perfect and who died for us and by faith, he makes us perfect and prepares us to live kingdom lives here now on earth as citizens of his kingdom, that one day we may enter into heaven given the righteousness of Christ. And so as we move into today's section, um, <clears throat> we're talking about 
not so much inner righteousness and a heart that's right with God. We're talking about our conduct, um, our gospel conduct, our outward actions that reflect a heart that is for God, that has been regenerated and for His kingdom, a heart filled with the Spirit of God and where God is moving in the heart of men and women to know and love and treasure Him. And so Jesus wants to just remind us how to give properly, how to have con- how, the, how our conduct is to function and to exhibit um, in such a way that is pleasing to the Lord. So he's concerned, Jesus is concerned about having right heart and right action. So that brings us to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. And then we begin with, don't show off by giving. In verse um, 1, Jesus <coughs> is addressing the audience in his time, and I believe, without a doubt, the audience here today. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This is as straightforward as it gets. The religious leaders, their mindset was to serve in such a way, in this case, giving money. And when they gave money, they they did so to draw attention to them. Um, They wanted to be known for people who would give a lot. And so, um, <clears throat> so when they when they gave, they they made sure um, everyone noticed. They probably you know waved their money around, and as they dropped it, um, they made sure it clanged loud so everyone would know um, what they were doing. They <clears throat> and and so what Jesus is saying: Hey, beware. Uh, pay close attention and be on guard. If your heart is motivated to be seen by people and to be recognized by people for your giving. <clears throat> and so, so he's addressing the, the motivation first, and, <clears throat> and then he's concerned about the action that would follow. And so, excuse me, so what the, our Heavenly Father wants us, wants to reward his people, but he says if you give like this to be known by people, he says, hey, there's going to be no reward for you. As you think you're running this race and you think you're pleasing me, he says, there's not going to be reward for those who are seeking to glorify themselves instead of the Lord, who's motivated for self instead of having a heart motivation um, to singularly, singularly glorify the Lord. So um, we're, going to, we're going to contrast this by looking at verse 2 now, giving that God rewards. Um, I want to remind you the gospel over and over. God gave um, <coughs> his son. He is the most generous and gave the greatest gift in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the ransom price by dying on the cross for our sins. And so I, I bring this again <coughs> and again, that God is extremely generous. He loved us first that we what might respond to him in love and adoration and appreciation for him, that we would respond in love and that we would be generous like he is generous. And so as you look at verse 2, Jesus instructs us how to give with the right heart and with the spirit that honors and pleases our heavenly Father. Jesus says here, thus, when you give to the needy, he wants you to give to the needy. And I'll stop here once again. Prior to coming to Christ, if you know Jesus, we were once, what, very needy? Yeah, probably more than that. 
We were extremely needy. We were, in fact, spiritually bankrupt before a holy God. And so we know, we know what it means to be needy. We know what it needs to lack righteousness and to have the standing we need before a holy God. We know what it means to be needy on a spiritual level. And so what Jesus is talking about here is for, he's addressing those who were needy and now have been given the greatest answer in Christ Jesus. And so with this motivating our heart, as we relate to people practically, there are people who, who are needy. Um, there are people who are needy in this room, um, maybe financially, maybe practically, maybe relationally, maybe uh, emotionally. There are many needs in the triangle. I don't even know what to do to explain them. If you just open your eyes or even watch some TV, um, may God grant you the eyes to see. May the, uh, the Lord, with the Spirit of God, open the eyes of your heart that you might see with the Lord's eyes as you look around to your, your classmates, your coworkers, your neighbors, and see their spiritual and practical needs. And so, when you give to the needy, um, this is more in a practical sense, he says, sound no trumpet. You don't need to toot your horn when you give, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And so, again, Jesus is addressing hypocrisy. There are, are religious leaders who want to be known um, with their giving. And so, <clears throat> what they're doing is practicing basically hypocrisy. The Greek word um, for hypocrisy comes from the Greek origins of a theater. And it describes a character who is wearing a mask in order to, pray, to portray himself or exaggerate himself to be someone who he's not, to exaggerate. And so this is basically someone who's pretending to be someone they're not. And so what Pharisees were doing is <coughs> they realized that they were not right with the Lord, but they wanted to look right in front of other people. So they pretended to look right in front of people, even though they knew deep inside that they weren't right with, with God himself. And so Augustine has this really interesting quote. He talks about the, <clears throat> the sin of hypocrisy, and he says this is one of the most deceptive courses of life. He says here, the honor, no, excuse me, the love of honor is the deadly bane of true piety. Other vices bring forth evil, which is very clear. You're evil, it brings forth evil, but this brings forth good works in an evil way. Did you catch that? It's hard because a Christian and a non-Christian can be doing the exact same thing. They're both giving. And they could be giving the same amount, and they could be working the same job, and they could both be giving the same way, whether it's through online or by check. But the difference is vast. The, heart, the, di the biggest difference is vastly different, in a sense, the heart motivation one is self-motivated, and the other one is motivated for God. One will end up in reaping rewards, and the other one won't. One is for self-glory. One is for the glory of the Lord. And so there's a huge difference. And this is where Satan, the master, master deceiver, wants to deceive the church. He wants to deceive 
um, deceive believers today um, in one of two forms. I believe Satan wants to undermine the church. <coughs> one, one area for some people who, who don't know Christ, it's a way of uh, faking it and playing church. You can masquerade in the life of a church and you can learn the lingo, you can learn to give, you can learn to serve, and you practice this culture and you kind of look like a Christian. Um, you're basically playing church. And that's a form of hypocrisy. The other area are for, it may be for true believers, um, but <clears throat> they know they're not right with the Lord, and so they project themselves as being spiritual, and they, they pretend, and so they learn how to hide, they know how to play the game, and so there's a danger inherent in that area too. And both areas are easy to remedy. It's just for the non-believer, it says, hey, I'm gonna, I realize my masquerading is not fooling the Lord. He obviously sees me for who I am. And you could say, hey, I, I understand this is not going to save me. And I'm going to say, Lord, you know, <clears throat> this game is not going to get me into heaven. And so you just, <clears throat> Jesus says, hey, I'm speaking to you. The Spirit is speaking to you to come. Come to him and say, I'm done playing this game. I want to be real. I want to be real with you, Lord, and come to you in faith. And for the, for the believer who is a hypocrite, it's just to confess and say, hey, Lord, I don't want to play this game anymore. Help me to grow in sincerity and honor before you. And then Jesus goes later on in the book of Matthew um, to verse 23. And I, I wanted to jump to this section. And <clears throat> as Jesus addresses the Pharisees and the scribes, and he gives a strong warning. Really, there's about 10 verses in here, but I'm just going to highlight a few. And he says there's a punishment for those who give, um, who practice hypocrisy and give in a hypocritical way. And so if you look at Matthew chapter 23, verses five through 25 to 28, and then 33, Jesus has a strong, strong warning. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may, <coughs> the, excuse me, and the outside also may be clean. You want to know how to get right with the Lord? He wants you to address your heart, confess your sins, repent of your sins, your motivation, and then be clean. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outward, outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of people's dead bones and all uncleanliness. Verse 28, so you are outwardly, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others. Just that was what we we're looking at, the Sermon on the Mount. But within, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is addressing a, a serious matter of the heart. And verse 33, if you go down, he says, Finally, Jesus doesn't mince word. He goes, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? It's a serious matter. Hypocrisy um, on both sides of the equation. Um, and I think it's, it's hard to say, but when, I, when, when Jesus speaks this way, I think heaven isn't going to be as big as we think, even though it's for all people. It'll be big because it's spanned many generations. 
But I want you to hear the main message. He gives us warnings for our good. Um, as parents, we warn our kids a lot, maybe more than they care. Um, I don't know. I, you can talk to my kids about that. But we warn them a lot for their good. And our Heavenly Father cares for us deeply. He gives us this serious warning that we would consider who we are before the Lord. And so, <laughs> be mindful of your heart and the deception that is there within. Um, it could trick you and deceive you for many years. A heart is deceptive, and we, in, the, in, in, in Jeremiah says, you know, who can know it? It's so twisted. We think we're doing the right thing, but we might not be. We might be running a hell-bound race. Well, let's flip to uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, where Jesus again swaps over and goes, here is how you give, giving that God rewards Jesus explains how we are to give to the needy here. He says, but when you give, imply, implying that people do give um, <clears> on <throat> both sides of the race, we do give. But when you do give to the needy, he says this, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret, will reward you. God wants to reward you greatly for giving. Um, but he wants you to give in the right way. And he just makes it very clear. You know, <clears throat> not, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So what, what does this mean? What is this little statement, left hand, right hand? And it, it <clears throat> I did some background work, and most of them are coming on this basic idea that this is a proverbial expression that is simply referred to doing something spontaneously with a desire to give with no special effort or show. The right hand is considered, in most cases, the primary hand of action, right? Most of us are right-handed, but I guess if you're left-handed, your left hand is your primary hand of action for your normal things and activities of life, you know, whether you drive, type, write with your hands. You have a dominant, a predominant hand. And, and your left hand would typically not be involved with these ac other activities because it's not your dominant hand. And so when it comes to giving, may this be a normal activity in the life of a believer because the Lord is gracious to you. He calls us to have the normal activity that we would be known as generous because our Lord God has been generous to us and that we would simply act in a direct and discreet manner when we give and do so discreetly. And so the most satisfying, God-honoring giving that God blesses is one that is done out of joy in our heart, that is given in a response to God's love toward us as we give to others around us. It's to give in such a way that we're not looking for recognition for ourselves and not letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing. And probably the way I remind I remember this most, and the guy who taught me just a little bit how generous the Lord um, is. Um, I want you to know, in as a kid growing up, my mom passed away. My dad was single income for a while, and the mindset of my family is like, we don't have much money, we can't give much, and so we just kind of lived over that stress in our our lives as kids. Um, 
<clears throat> and so when I went off to graduate school, I didn't know how we were going to pay for this. And I just said, okay. Um, we had intense fights in my home. I remember my dad one time saying, Gary, you know, if you go to graduate school, we're not going to support you. And I'm like, okay, you know, expect no money from dad. So, you know, I went ahead and got the loans. I, I guess I semi-trusted the Lord. I go, Lord, if you're going to send me to ministry, I'm like, okay, you're going to have to provide for me. But I got the loans with a mindset, I'm not going to spend it. So I said, Lord, we're just going to trust you to provide. And so the Lord blessed with scholarships. But there was one man at the church that I served at, the same church I met Tracy at. Every beginning of every semester in January and also in September, in my office mailbox, I would see an envelope. It was, had my name on it, and then I'd open the envelope, and there would be a check for about half my tuition every single semester I served at this church. And he did it discreetly. No one else knew about it, but... I had a couple other intern buddies that I was curious if they got checks too. So I'm like, you know, Olympio, you Joe, did you guys get checks too? And we're like, yeah, we got checks too. And so we just were excited about that. That this, there's a man that was generous um, and loved seminarians. But I realized that it wasn't just he loved seminarians. I found out this guy had a reputation amongst the whole church to give. He literally would create jobs even if sometimes there were bad workers, but he would still create jobs for them and set them up for, <clears throat> for jobs at his place. And sometimes he would just give. And this is what he's known for. And so that altered my view of giving. I know there's more room to grow in, in my view of giving and practice of giving, but it literally increased my mindset toward giving um, just because of this one man's love toward me and other guys um, the church we were at before had seminary students after seminary students for the last 20 years. And so I, I wonder, I know he's still there, and I wonder how he, um, he's related to all those students. So um, that's that. And so bless our seminary students, all right? That's the whole point here. Just kidding. Seriously, he gave discreetly, and he, he gave well. Um, God wants to channel his blessings and grace through us, through his people, through his church, and to others. And he wants us to experience the joy of giving, and he wants others to know what? How generous our great God is. Here, here's a footnote as I was wrestling through this. Are we to, given this passage, it seems that we are to not show off our giving, but if you remember early in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus was urging people to what? Shine your light, Right? And so it's like, which is it? Are we to hide it or show it? So a little bit of thinking. So are we to give at all times um, anonymously? Yes or no? This passage seems we're supposed to do it anonymously. But if you consider some other passages, um, in the early church in Acts chapter 4, verse 34 to 37, um, the early church knew that Barnabas gave some of his income as he sold land. We also know later on in the members of early church gave money to the apostles' feet, and this wasn't done in secret. People, people knew about it, but it was done what? With the right motivation, the right heart. We also know of other people in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, Ananias and Sapphira, they tried to give gifts so that they would look more spiritual, and we know what happened to them. God knew their heart, and... Literally, pretty much right after they gave, God struck them dead because they violated the holiness of God. 
So understand, God can still do that today. Can he not? I think he could if he wanted to. So with Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, when Jesus says, shine your light before men that others may see your good deeds and glorify the Father, I think Jesus is addressing the church with regard to our cowardness. cowardliness. And in this passage, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus is addressing giving as it relates to hypocrisy. So Jesus touches a lot of different things, and I think we could be at both different ends of things as we struggle yet fight to run this race for him. Um, <clears throat> there's a gentleman by the name of A.B. Bruce. This, this one statement I thought was so clever and just so insightful. Depending on what side you are as you think and desire to give, he says this, we are to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. Does that make sense? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, one statement. Beautiful, you know, English writing there. It's like, yeah, that's so true. So it addresses both sides of our heart, depending which way we struggle. So let's go on the positive side. What are the biblical, eternal principles for giving in a non-hypocritical non way? So we'll hit these briefly. I'm just going to read these. I feel that God word, God's word just speaks for itself. So number one, giving is from a godly heart, <coughs> is investing with God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must Give as he has decided in his heart. You, you decide in your heart beforehand, your mind and heart working together. And you do so not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. This is called the sowing principle. If you want to reap in a great way, he says what? Sow in a bountiful way. This is basically the sowing principle. And I think like if some people get this, they, they, they just give, 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 and they see the Lord bless, bless, bless. And some of us maybe do a little bit, a little bit, and others, we're just like, we just hold it really tight. We think it's our money, and we don't realize that it is God who's given everything. Um, <clears throat> number two, give in a, a manner of faithfulness. This, this principle is so true. Um, some believe um, you're always to give if you have a lot. And then you can give, like you win a lottery or you win Jeopardy, have so much money, and then you'll give. But in most cases, if you don't give when you have a little, you won't give when you have a lot. And Jesus makes this so true. I, I believe you need to teach giving at a young age. And I encourage parents, give your kids allowances for doing work and teach them to give a, a part of it. Um, just teach them to learn how to give. If they only make $1 a week, teach them to give 10 cents a week. Um, teach them at a basic age because when they make $100,000, when they're adults, they could give, what is it? 10,000, all right? So in Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 11, here's the principle. One, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have been faithful 
in <coughs> the righteous, unrighteous wealth? Who will entrust you to the true riches? If you have, <coughs> and if you have been, have not been faithful in that which is another, who will give you that which is your own? And so Jesus is, puts this out there for every aspect of life. Your little chores, your big chores, your work, whatever God's giving you. If, if you're faithful and little, he often rewards you for an opportunity to do more. And the contrast or the converse is true too. Lastly, in the last section, we're talking about motivation. What is the right motivation to, to give? Um, to give generously. <laughs> From 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, we see here that Paul says, we, we want you to know, brethren, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, they're going through suffering and affliction but they had abundance of joy. And even in their extreme poverty, what's happening? They have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Most people who are poor and most people are in affliction, what? They don't give. But they are so rich in the gospel, they get it. And they're still willing to give. Their minds and heart are blown away by the grace of God that they'll get, they give in their affliction and even in their poverty. Number two, uh, the gospel adopts spiritual orphans. As God saves people, it brings people in the family of God. And we know in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 to 47, that all who believed, what? They were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all, any that any as any had needs. You give to the family of God. We have an opportunity to do that too. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 to 20, we see that giving was done for the purpose of advancing the gospel. And so we see here, as, as you Philippians yourself know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me. This is Paul speaking with giving and receiving, except only you. Even the Thessalonians you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And I have received full payment and more. And I'm well supplied, having received from <coughs> Aphrodite the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want you to new know in the New Testament, there is no such thing as a tithe. It's not there. Never in the New Testament. It's all Old Testament that talks about tithe three times plus another time every three years, so 33.5% is the course of life. In the New Testament, the perspective is all grace. God has given abundantly to you, and he says, may the grace of God compel you and to move you to, to give, and also to be part of his mission. 
And so I want to plug hard. We didn't ha- talk about last week, but we have a conference coming up called Compelled by Love. I want to seriously invite all of you to do what you can to come. And uh, some people are I'm hearing and saying, I don't have any desire to be a missionary there. But whatever you, s- <laughs> but I want you to know, if you don't have a desire to be a missionary there, that's fine. But you need to have a desire to be a missionary here because God has, God has placed you somewhere in the triangle. And every Christian is in one sense a missionary. But I want you to know this. If you hear about others doing it in a harder and more difficult place, you will be all the more encouraged in your work here. Because sometimes we think it's a little hard, we have to wake up, or maybe there's less people some week, or there's some stress in your life. But there's others that have so much more stress and but you see how they trust in the Lord, how the Lord provides and gives them grace. And so I encourage you to go because their experience will only encourage you all the more here week in and week out. So I encourage you to go. It's only 20 bucks. I almost want to say, you can't afford it. I'll pay it for you and I'll trust the Lord to take care of whatever God's going to do eternally. Um, So lastly, two statements. I want you to know that God wants to reward you. So Let's remember the lessons. Don't be a hypocrite. Give the way that God wants you to give. And so as you run this race, run hard, run with perseverance, run with your eyes on Jesus and serve and give and be motivated by Jesus. And I, I want you to know one day, he's going to bless you like crazy. And he wants to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. And one day you'll be worshiping the Lord and you'll have all these crowns to give back to him. You don't want to say, hey, I just got this Burger King thing and be embarrassed. You want to give some big, big crowns back to the Lord. All right? And then lastly, in Acts chapter 10, verse 35, Paul sums up this really simple statement. In all things, in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, laboring for the gospel, that we must help the weak. It's not an option to not help the weak. Am I saying that right? And remember the words of the Lord and how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Does that ring true with you? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Please, I want you to pray this for me. And I'm going to pray this for you, that we would be gripped by this truth and that we would experience it on a redemptive end, that we would understand the gospel in this perspective. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to struggle through this. It is not a natural thing for me to think in this way, but it is a supernatural grace in me and for everyone in this room to have the Spirit of God, and the Word of God work in our heart to give as you have given to us, your Son, and how you continue to give abundantly, amazingly, divinely through your Spirit um, every day, all the time, whether we acknowledge it or not. May you store store in us a new faith, a new affection for you to, to run this race and not run the wrong race and end up with no prize. May we motiv- be motivated for your glory and end up with a huge prize.
prize. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.